Hello to all you horror freaks and geeks out there, and welcome to the second episode of And Then the Murders Began. I'm your host, Mirren Rose Eckhart, on-call horror fanatic extraordinaire. Today we have two horror stories and a very special surprise guest and their very own super spooky story. Now, I'm going to try to write at least the first story each week because, as I said in our first episode, I really, really do enjoy writing. Um, I especially enjoy writing horror stories because I enjoy bringing all of these nightmares to life. Um, (laughs) That makes me sound insane, but we're all a little insane, aren't we? As I previously said, our first story was written by me, um, and is called Too Much Oxygen. Enjoy. Hello? Hello, is there anyone out there? Hello? Please come in. Anyone, please. This is the USS Alcyone, and I don't know where I am. Please, I need help. My name is Private Felicity Marie, and we are part of the Perseus fleet. I'm standing on the deck as I try to transmit this, but I can't seem to see anything outside. Not even a star. There's no one here. It's just me. Please, someone come in. I need help. There were 13 of us originally, including our two technicians, Kennedy and Johnson. We always used to poke fun at their names, but they said it made them a better team. And they were. They were the best team. They were the best engineers this side of the Milky Way. Johnson was the first to go. Ironic, isn't it? And then there were twelve. Our medic, Dr. Maya Turner, couldn't seem to figure out how he had died. At first she thought he had died from a lack of oxygen, but then she thought he'd been poisoned. She's gone now, so she can't decipher these notes for me, but there's something big circled in red pen. I think it says too much oxygen. After Johnson, it was Santiago, the cook. Dr. Turner couldn't figure out how he'd died either, but I think she concluded it was definitely poison. I can see in her notes that it says the same thing as it did on Johnson's chart, though. Too much oxygen. How could the cook get too much oxygen? How could anyone? After Santiago, we lost our second mate, Amanda Jaronson. Then Pierre Royal, who was our communications specialist. He'd be able to figure this out. Probably. After Pierre, we lost the doctor. And then Captain Juno Desparu. After her, I sort of lost track of who died next. Everyone just sort of seemed to die, all at once. Everyone but me, that is. We gave Johnson and Santiago proper funerals. We sent them off into the darkness like they would have wanted. True men of their craft. We didn't have the supplies for more funerals, though, so then I was stuck on a ship with ten dead bodies. Ten people who, for the past seven years, have been my best friends. My family. But they're all gone now. All of them. Everyone before Dr. Turner had the same phrase written on their autopsy reports. Too much oxygen. And Dr. Turner seemed to be almost going insane, trying to figure out what it meant. 
She told me that she'd only seen two cases of oxygen poisoning before, and only one of them had died. Well, not so much died, more like he was killed out of necessity. Necessity for his own safety and the safety of others. She told me it was too terrible to elaborate on, but... God, I wish she had. I didn't know what it was at first, but... There were always noises coming from the infirmary. Scratching, crying, coughing, choking, screaming. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it could have been. All I knew was that it was terrifying and that I wanted it to stop. The noises were always louder at night. Funny, because that's when they all seemed to die. That was another thing that Dr. Turner and I noticed. They all seemed to die at exactly 3.19 in the morning. Then another one would get sick at 3.20. And then 23 hours and 59 minutes later, they'd die. Coughing. Choking. Screaming. Crying and scratching at their throats and their chests. Rasping that they couldn't breathe. We couldn't figure out how it spread, though. According to any medical professional's reasoning, Dr. Turner should have been the next to go after Johnson. She was closest to him when he was infected. Or at least, that's what we think. We weren't sure how long the virus was in someone. We weren't sure how it spread. We weren't sure how it survived. We weren't sure. Although, I suppose that if it could survive in you for longer than 24 hours and it infects anyone within proximity... All logical reasoning suggests that I should be dead too, right? I don't know why I'm alive. I wish I wasn't. For the past few nights, it seemed as though there was someone else on board. Someone who's living and breathing, but that can't be, because everyone's dead. I've shaken to locking the door of the infirmary, though. It's silly, and foolish, I know, but what if it's not? What if one of them isn't really dead? That can't be, though, because I've I've already killed one of them. I've already killed all of them. After Dr. Turner had told me about the patient who had been killed out of necessity, she, she told me that if she ever began to exhibit symptoms, I should kill her. I couldn't do that, though. I've never killed anyone before. Nevertheless, someone I care for as much as I care for her, cared for her. I told her that I wouldn't kill her, no matter what. I would do everything in my power to make sure that she survived all of this. I failed. She was the first. Thirty minutes after I'd declare her time of death, she seemed to come back to life. I was so happy. There she was, alive, talking, walking jumping for joy that she hadn't been a victim like all of the others. She never wanted to be a victim of a story. Captain Juno and I knew, though. We knew that she was dead. We knew that there was no reasonable explanation for why she was this way, for why she was able to do any of this. Then, about an hour after she woke up, she changed. Her skin turned this awful, translucent color you can even call it a color. Her voice was raspy and not her own. 
and she grabbed me tightly by the neck and she wouldn't let go. There was pain in her eyes, but it wasn't her pain. It was the pain of the terrible creature living inside of her. At least, I like to think it's a creature and not her. Whoever, whatever it was, it's gone now. I shot it. I shot her. Once right between the eyes and once in the heart. I wish I hadn't. I wish she was still here. I thought Dr. Turner was the only one. None of the others did anything that she did. None of them even came close to exhibiting symptoms similar to what she had shown, but still, there he was. Pierre was here one night, on the deck. We keep the deck under constant video surveillance, just like the rest of the ship, but there's nothing that suggests he was here. No video footage, no audio. Everything that we did to stop him was there, but he wasn't. And there was nothing to suggest that he ever even was. Nothing but the fact that I and the four other people on deck saw him, of course. We all saw his translucent skin, making the muscles underneath seem to glow pink. And his once twinkling green eyes seemed hollow and, and black. He took a look around the deck, scanning all of the faces of the people he once knew, taking them all in, processing them as if he were a computer. He would stare at you for a minute or two, and then say yes or no. At the time, I didn't know what he was looking for. Who he was looking for. Now I know he was looking for me. Because who else would any of this happen to? Who else would have this sort of misfortune? When he found me, though, he launched. He seemed to jump eight feet straight forward, which shouldn't be possible. If I know nothing, I know that none of this should be possible. Captain Juno shot him before he could get to me. Before he could get me. I'm sorry. We usually aren't allowed to carry weapons on board. They all get locked into the armory until we need them. If we need them. The captain wasn't supposed to have that. And I'm still not entirely sure where it came from, but I sure as hell am glad that she had it. One by one, in no real particular order, everyone came back. None in the exact same way, but all with various common traits. For starters, they all have the same pale translucency of their skin, and the same deep red gashes on their necks and chests almost as though they were clawing at their skin, trying to free their lungs and throats so that they could get a breath of air. But if, if that were the case, then how could them getting too much oxygen be what killed them? The last thing that they all have in common is me. All of them seem to have come after me. Why me? Why are they looking for me? What did I do to deserve this? haven't I done to deserve this? It doesn't make any sense. I've killed her. Re-killed, rather. All of the ones that came back. The only one left is the captain. I pray that she doesn't come back. I don't want to kill her. 
I don't want to have to kill this woman that I've looked up to for the past seven years. I don't want to. I can't. I would rather let her kill me, to be completely honest. I would rather that Captain Juno takes my life instead of me taking hers, or at least what used to be hers. Wait. Wait, now what? The bay doors just opened. How is that possible? They can only be opened from a panel outside or from the deck, and you have to have a special code to open them, and I certainly didn't do it. I don't even have the code. Only three people on board have or had that code. Only Johnson, Kennedy, and Captain Juno. And they're all gone now. Johnson's out there, floating in space with Santiago somewhere, hopefully at peace. I shot Kennedy, and there's no way that the captain could open the doors from the infirmary. Hold on. I think, I think we have cameras that see out there. Maybe, maybe the alarm is just faulty. I wouldn't be surprised if that was it. You know, with all the luck I'm having. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't think it was possible. It's Johnson. Johnson is inside the ship. He and Santiago have come back. How is that possible? Oh my god. What? This isn't happening. They're going to come for me. I don't know how to stop them. I think I only have two bullets left in this gun, and the armory is three floors down. I can't risk that. How do I barricade the deck doors? How do I do any of this? I'm not cut out for this. Holy Christ. What are they doing? I think they're going to the infirmary. They're letting Juno out. Oh, no. I think they're coming up. Juno's locked the deck down here before. How did she do it? Um, computer, lockdown. A lockdown of the deck can only be initiated by Captain Juno or any higher-ranking officer with the correct voice coding sequence. Are you kidding me? Okay. They're coming closer. They're on the deck level now. I think they're almost here. I can hear their footsteps. They're saying something, but I can't quite make it out. I... I don't know what they're saying. I think it's my name. Oh my god. They're here. What do you want from me? Why do you want me? Why me? Private Murray. Captain? Captain, what are you doing? It's alright, Felicity. We just want to talk. What's wrong with your voice? Stop that. I, I don't want to talk to you. Um, if anyone is out there listening to this transmission, my captain, one of the technicians, and our cook have all entered the deck now, all of them with weapons, and none of them are alive, but none of them are dead. I feel funny. My head is spinning, and I don't know what's happening. Computer, lockdown. Initiating lockdown sequence, Captain Juno. No. No, Captain, please. Please, you know me. You don't have to do this. Please. Please, Captain. You know what needs to be done, Private. No. I've always really liked the um, idea of space, I suppose, wherein our universe is so 
big that there's really just no way that there isn't other forms of intelligent life wherein we cannot be the only people out there. And so I think I've been writing stories about space and about the unknown for a while because honestly the unknown is scary and I think that that's really cool. Now this next story is actually pretty close to home for me um, and I actually grew up with it. Uh, So near where I live there's an island uh, that used to be a union, um, union base and there is a tale of this ghost woman in black who was killed there and there are a lot of different versions of it and so every year my summer camp would go there as like a field trip and we would always be told this legend and I would always be so freaked out but so so interested and honestly I think that this is really one of the reasons that I am the person that I am today and the way that I am today in terms of um, paranormal interests and everything so let's get right into the legend of the lady in black the story begins with Sam and Melanie Lanier in 1862 Sam, a Confederate soldier, was captured by Union troops and sent to Fort Warren to be imprisoned on the island. He managed to smuggle out a note to be sent to his sweetheart, letting her know where he was. Initially relieved that her husband was alive, Melanie soon began to worry about Sam and decided to make the dangerous journey to New England. She traveled from Georgia to Hull, where she was sheltered by a southern sympathizer. Melanie then sewed a simple soldier's uniform and waited for a night when the moon was covered by the clouds. She crept into Fort Warren and managed to find where her beloved was being kept. In some versions of the story, Melanie brings a pickaxe with her and plans to break her lover out of prison. Unfortunately, the duo was discovered. Melanie pulled out the two-shot pistol she brought, but, but it blew up in her hand when she pulled the trigger. The stray bullet hit and killed the person standing beside her, which was her husband Sam. Melanie was condemned to die by hanging for her actions. Before her execution, her final request was to be put to death in female clothing. All that could be found in the fort for her to wear was a pair of old, black, tattered robes. She donned those robes and was executed. The haunting began only a few weeks after Melanie's death, and have not stopped since. The first account comes from a soldier standing guard shortly after the execution. He reported feeling cold hands on the back of his neck and turning to behold a woman in a black dress. The reports of the Lady in Black seem to become more sinister as time progresses. She was often seen standing at the ramparts of the old fort, and in some cases was reported to smile down unnervingly at soldiers. The apparition has also been reported to chase after soldiers at the fort, and there was one instance in the early 1900s when a soldier broke his ankle while running from the figure of the Lady in Black. Of course, some say that Melanie and her husband never even existed. There is some evidence that suggests that the tale may be nothing more than a story passed down from soldier to soldier over the years. However, many of the reported sightings of the Lady in Black come from individuals who claim to have been ignorant of the legend. Now, in the version of the story that I was always told, there was a woman who her husband was captured, and she found out where he was being kept, so she and her two children 
snuck onto the island. They went to find him, but were discovered, and she was sentenced to death. Now, I guess this part was added in just to scare little seven-year-olds like me, but uh, we were always told that her children were sentenced to death with her. So the story went that she was dressed in black clothing um, and taken out to sea where she was shot and they pushed her off the boat and then the same thing happened to her two children. When on the island, though, the woman and her husband would whistle their wedding march, so the wedding tune would just be heard throughout the island on all odd hours of the night, and it's said that if you're really quiet and you go stand in one specific hallway in something that used to be a prison, you can still hear the wedding march. And so... My friends and I used to love playing the trick on people where one of us would go to the end of the hallway and the other one would stay with the group and the one at the end would whistle the tune and the one at the group would cause a panic and we were we were pretty reckless as children so we thought it was we thought it was very funny um but I can definitely say that this story haunts me even now and I really really do think that it's a it's a very interesting piece of folklore that we have here our guest today is Marcy Moline and she is going to be telling us a scary story from a time that she spent abroad in France so Marcy how are you doing today I'm good I'm good glad to be here so first of all, I'm going to ask you your age and what you do for a living. I am 50 years old, and I am a college administrator. And second, do you believe in the paranormal or spooky stuff? I believe there are things that we don't know about this world. So aliens, yes or no? Aliens. Uh I, yeah, pro- most likely. <laughs> so you said you had a story to tell today. Uh, can you just give us like a general background, like who, hap- who it happened to, where it happened, when it happened? When I was in high school, I was an exchange student in France, um, this town called Villiers. And Villiers is in the Loire Valley in France. Not too far from uh, the major town there was uh, Angers, and I was living with this family. I was there for the summer, and I was living with this family um, who who were hosting me primarily so that I could help their daughter pass some of her English exams because she was uh, attending a university and was learning English and needed needed that because she she wanted to be an English teacher and one of the big complaints was like any one of the big complaints was her uh, accent so I was helping her with the accent and, and all they had me living um, in this spare bedroom and it was over they they were shop owners so the, the family they they lived like in this sort of like townhouse but then 
the rest of the apartment and house went down over the store and so you know it's a lot like like you know one of those garage apartments or so Mm -hmm. but it was really this long long corridor um with rooms coming off of it and so there was you know the room where their their the granny would she was uh staying and then there was another another room and then my room was you you couldn't get any further away from the rest of the 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 rest of the household i was like on the far far side of things um one night i was uh i had brought my violin with me i i play the violin and i brought it to france and i was you know feeling a little lonely or so so i was practicing and playing and stuff because you know i'm this american high school kid that's still Mm -hmm. kind of like learning french and there's not a lot to do and since it's also france no one is there in this town because everyone has gone on vacation so there was like nobody there um so i was you know had a lot of time on my hands so i uh was playing the violin and practicing and while i was playing um i got the distinct impression i wasn't alone um kept looking over my shoulder or so and didn't see anybody uh didn't but it was just really weird and i just felt like there was something upon me or in me or so and so I put my violin down because I, I, I said this doesn't feel right and also I just wanted to get since I was on the far side of the house I was like you know I'm just gonna go to where people are in the house because it was really bothering me and so I started uh, I went down the hallway and went by this one room and got this really this empty room and it it was just really like got this really weird feeling about it and I kept going and um I have to say though I I had been at this house for already like a few weeks like two weeks or three weeks already so like everybody including the little dog that they had there everybody knew me you know and everybody was comfortable and I came down the uh the stairs to where everybody else was after um playing and I still had this weird kind of like out of body sort of feeling as I'm coming down the stairs Mm -hmm. and the dog starts barking furiously at me to the point that the family got up and apologized and said he's never done that the really weird thing was the dog wasn't just barking at me the dog's eyes were like something behind me on that feeling um later on i found out that uh that room that I had gone by or had been going by and getting like that weird feeling and all 
and I found that their uh, the grandfather had passed passed away. I mean, passed away, you know, fairly recently or so. And uh, one of the things he really enjoyed doing was was coming out and listening to music and string music hmm. and all. So do you know, like, did the dog dislike the grandfather, or was it just the fact that the grandfather was present that made the dog upset? I, I think it was just the grandfather was present that made the dog upset, because the dog was fine the whole time, was always, like, happy to see me, never barked at me when I came in the house and stuff like that, so... Yeah, that's really cool. I think uh, the the whole, like, pets can sense when there's something wrong, like hurricanes, earthquakes, but even paranormal activity can be sensed by pets. I think that's a really cool observation. Um, so do you think that it was the grandfather, or do you think it was some malevolent spirit? I, I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I just really, I, I, I never liked walking by that room afterwards. <laughs> and so it was just.
Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of And Then the Murders Began. I had so much fun doing this, and I really, really did miss it. Um, Hopefully I'm going to get more consistent on when I post. So, cross our fingers. (laughs) Uh, Once again, I'm Mirren Rose Eckhart. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in next week for more.